Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Have you been involved in personnel decisions? Not, not as much. I don't, you know, I think that, uh, you know, for, do you want to be involved, Russ? Yeah, I, I think it helps. I think it helps to, to, to be involved more. Um, but I think that's that dialogue should, should happen more often, in my opinion. You never want to be sacked that many times, you know, 400 times off basically is, is way too many. That's got to be fixed, you know, and, and has to be, you know, at the end of the day, because my goal is to play, you know, 10 to 15 more years. Do you believe that that the Seattle has gotten calls? Yeah, I definitely believe they've gotten calls for sure. You're not available, are you? Well, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm available or not. That's a, that's a Seahawks <laughs> question. You know, we we're just minding our own business, digesting the Super Bowl, figuring out where Deshaun Watson's going to be traded, other guys who were on the radar screen. And then comes the Russell Wilson interview with Dan Patrick on Tuesday. And everything gets turned upside down. Peter King joins us for today's edition of Pro Football Talk Live on Peacock, Series XM211, NBCFN, Sky Sports NFL, and wherever you get your podcast. Good morning, Peter. Crazy week. And we're going to try to make sense of all of it in the next two hours, if that's even possible. Well, Mike, I'll tell you, I was surprised when I heard that because, as you well know, having interviewed Russell Wilson 400 times, which you have, um, has he ever once said anything even remotely slightly controversial or even remotely Never. slightly challenging to the status quo in Seattle? Not, not really. And so that's why this one opened my eyes a little bit. It did surprise me. And it says, it obviously says that Russell Wilson is not entirely happy with the status quo in Seattle. And the follow-up on Wednesday from Dan Patrick was that the powers that be in Seattle not entirely happy with Russell Wilson's decision to break so far from character. I mean, this guy was the consummate company man his entire career. He was resented by teammates. He was made fun of by teammates for being the ultimate company man with the Go Hawks every time he talked to anybody, anything related to the team, it was the Go Hawks sign-off. And the sense that he was, like so many franchise quarterbacks over the years have been, Peter, a guy who is essentially the the liaison to management who's in the locker room. He's the guy that's there on behalf of the coaching staff and the front office to make sure everyone does what they're supposed to do. And he broke from that in a very sudden and abrupt way. And I've said all week long, we're going to look back on that interview as the moment where what it means to be a franchise quarterback may have changed fundamentally in the NFL as we see this evolution become a revolution where quarterbacks behave far differently than they ever have. Well, Mike, you know, so much occurs to me when you say that. Um, and I'll say this, that... Tom Brady, I believe, 
amiably, amiably uh, really affected what happened inside the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this year. No one truly believes that the Antonio Brown signing in late October was only the decision of management and the coaching staff. That was something that Tom Brady pushed very hard internally and basically told the organization, listen, I, give, me, give me the responsibility. I'll take the responsibility. I'll take care of Antonio Brown. And you know what, Mike? He did. And I, you know, we don't know what happened inside the team the whole year, but Antonio Brown was a church mouse this year. You know, there was never any problem with Antonio Brown. So, so it, but, and, and then on the other side, there's another guy who's never in his entire college and pro football career been anything but overly praised. And that's Deshaun Watson. And Mike, we're going to find out if Deshaun Watson can take the heat because there's going to be some heat this offseason. And I believe there's going to be quite a bit of heat on Deshaun Watson because I don't think the Houston Texans are going to go quietly into the night on this. I think they're basically going to draw the line and say, if you want to play football, you'll play for us. Now, will that last until the season? Who knows? I don't know. Nick Casario's never had to do this either. Cal McNair's never had to do this. But, but I think you're right. We are in a different era of quarterbacking where uh, a guy like Russell Wilson just doesn't sit back and, and take what he perceives are uh, incorrect building blocks with this team. And both of the things you mentioned, we can pull back into the Russell Wilson situation. First of all, the Texans have to be thrilled that this has dominated the cycle for the past few days because they've found a way to get the Deshaun Watson story off the top of the stack. And Antonio Brown, who was the other team that was most commonly linked? Yeah, the Ravens kind of, sort of, but the organization didn't really want him. And I'm not sure Lamar Jackson and Hollywood Brown really wanted him. They just were kind of saying what they were saying because they know him and they like him. Russell Wilson really wanted him. And the Seahawks made no effort to go get Antonio Brown. Not that Antonio Brown became Randy Moss 2007, but Antonio Brown was a good soldier, didn't create problems, contributed to the cause, and Tom Brady wanted him and Tom Brady got him. And I think the Brady experience is what is causing so many of these other quarterbacks to say, why am I just going to act like an employee? Look at what Tom Brady did. They handed him the keys to the car in Tampa Bay, and now I want to have some of that same influence, and Russell Wilson is either going to get it from the Seahawks or he's going to get it somewhere else. I was curious after everything that's transpired over the past few days, Peter, whether or not at the core there is in Seattle the thing that happened several weeks back in Houston, the request for a trade. I'm told that that hasn't happened yet, but that all things are fluid still between Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. So I can't rule out that it's going to happen. I think maybe what Russell Wilson's trying to do is sufficiently agitate the Seahawks enough so they just trade him without a request. But I think that's the next thing to watch. Will this manifest itself in the Seahawks, not just hanging up the phone when people call, but actually having the conversation as to whether or not they'll trade Russell Wilson? You know, I doubt they would right now, Mike, but... I do think that, uh, I don't think that's out of the question. Just remember one thing. You know, John Schneider, you know, learned at the, you know, learned in the classroom of Ron Wolf. And Ron Wolf basically always had this attitude that, you know, there's gonna be firestorms, there's gonna be problems, there's gonna be issues. And, you know, let the players play, let the coaches coach, and let me pick the players. That's the way it was in Green Bay. How would you like to be Aaron Rodgers, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, sitting at home, having no idea that Jordan Love uh, was go that they were going to pick a quarterback in the first round this year? Now, did he get a call in the first round while this happened? Maybe. But he didn't know leading up to it that they were going to draft Jordan Love. And so... That is sort of, 
you know, if you, if you look at the personnel guy, the pure personnel guy in the NFL right now, a guy like John Schneider, that is the way they run their team. Now, might he have to change? He might. But Mike, you know, I think this is about one other thing too, okay? Dan Patrick interviewed Russell Wilson, you know, right after he was in Miami or in Tampa at the Super Bowl. Now, I didn't watch the game on on Sunday night. I was at the game. And only occasionally do you really see stuff on TV. And at one point I looked up and there's Russell Wilson with his wife in Roger Goodell's box. And even though he's got a mask on, he looks absolutely glum. You know, and and I and I looked at that. And to me, the the words on Russell Wilson's face were I am miserable not making this game. And I look out on this field right now and I see Tom Brady. And Tom Brady goes into a place that has everything in place for him to win a championship. And why can't I be in a place like that? You know, I've done everything this team has asked me to do. Why can't I be in a place like that? So look, We'll see what happens in the coming weeks, but I really think that is what is going through Russell Wilson's mind right now. Six years after it was Tom Brady versus Russell Wilson, Brady with the Patriots, Wilson obviously still with the Seahawks. And, you know, since that game, Super Bowl Forty Nine, the Seahawks haven't made it past the divisional round in the NFC playoffs. Meanwhile, every year but one, Brady at least gets to the conference championship game he's won multiple additional Super Bowls since then he's won three more since then if my math is correct and it rarely is it's just amazing to think that this is where we are right now with these two guys and the the confidence slash delusion slash hubris of an NFL quarterback is that I'm the best. It's just like the Scotty Miller thing. I'm faster than Tyreek Hill. That's how you have to be wired. So Russell Wilson thinks he's better than Tom Brady. He has to think that to achieve at a high level. So if he genuinely believes that, Peter, it has to be tormenting him that Tom Brady's got three more of the thing that Russell Wilson is stuck with one of nine years into his career. You know, Mike, if you sort of extrapolate this story What would be fair market value for Russell Wilson? I thought about that a lot this week. And I keep hearing people say when Deshaun Watson trade offers get thrown out, oh my God, that's too much. Like I said somewhere a couple of weeks ago, if it does come to this, I'd trade your existing quarterback plus four ones for Deshaun Watson. And I was roundly shouted down. But, But look... This is the point that I would make about that, all right? You have one job as an NFL franchise. You know what that job is? It's not to hire a great coach, not to hire a great GM. It's to find a franchise quarterback, okay? You will have a chance if you have a franchise quarterback. If you don't, you, will, you could very well be the New England Patriots of 2020, You could be a a lot of coaches in NFL history who have a crap quarterback situation or maybe not enough talent and you're just not good enough. And that is why I'll work on all the other stuff. We'll make all the other stuff. We'll, We'll get it all to work, okay? But give me the franchise quarterback. And that's why if you said to me, you have no ones until 2025, and your incumbent quarterback, let's say Sam Darnold, is gone. You have no ones. Your next four ones are gone. All right. And with the Jets, it's different because they got two this year, you know, and obviously two, two next year. But what I'm saying is four ones plus Sam Darnold. If I'm the Jets, I do it in an absolute heartbeat for a very simple reason. You now have solved the problem that has faced your franchise since Broadway Joe Namath was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Yeah, absolutely. And it's been 50 years since the Jets have had that quarterback and had that kind of level of achievement. And I think the Jets would make sense if that's something that Robert Sala, who has extensive experience defending against Russell Wilson, 
would want to do. I mean, that's part of what we find out if the Seahawks start taking these calls seriously. We found out fairly quickly what the rest of the NFL thinks of Matthew Stafford. What does the rest of the NFL think of Russell Wilson? Is he indeed being held back by the Seattle organization? Can you run the offense through him and get a Patrick Mahomes level of achievement out of him on a regular basis if you make him the centerpiece of your offense? He surely believes that. Now, 2020 was kind of strange because it started as let Russ cook and then the defense is caught up with the offense. So was it Brian Schottenheimer? Was it Pete Carroll? Was it Russell Wilson? You almost won't be able to tell until you see Russell Wilson somewhere else where he is the guy through whom the offense runs. But Peter, whether it's three first round picks, whether it's four, whatever it takes, and maybe Sam Darnold for Russell Wilson plus multiple first round draft picks would get it done. But if it's moving in that direction, that 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 is a a destination that makes a ton of sense. And it was a couple of years ago, before Russell got his latest contract that paid him market value of thirty five million a year, he was linked to the New York Giants. And there's that New York connection with his wife Ciara, who maybe would like to be in a market like that. Maybe Russell would thrive in a market like that. He's so good with the media. He's in Seattle, which kind of gets forgotten in the greater NFL scheme of things. It makes a ton of sense for Russell Wilson to be in New York, and it makes a ton of sense for the Jets to consider it, and that would be the thing that finally would sell out the stadium, assuming that fans will be back this year, sell the PSLs, do all the things the Jets have struggled to do in MetLife Stadium since they entered it with the Giants a decade ago. Mike, I wanna, I'm going to take just a slight left turn here, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about what Russell Wilson must be feeling. I want to take you to very late in the second quarter uh, in the Super Bowl. Tyron Matthew interferes with uh, Mike Evans in the end zone, and the ball goes to the one-yard line. And whether or not you agree with the interference, which I do think it was interference, but they're at the one-yard line. Brady's at the line of scrimmage, and he's calling out the play, and all of a sudden, timeout. Kansas City takes a timeout to discuss exactly what's going on. At that moment, great camera work by CBS right here because they capture Tom Brady waving something off from the sidelines. And I couldn't tell because Jim Nance and Tony Romo didn't talk about it, but they're waving it off. And so I made a call yesterday and I asked what was going on when Brady was saying Uh, basically, no, 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 no. And he held up five. He held up his hands. Five, five. Oki, five. And so I found out what happened. Byron Leftwich was going to call a different play because this is spy versus spy, Mike. And this is the defense basically changing what it's doing once it sees what Tampa's going to do. And so at that moment... Leftwich starts to call a play into Brady's helmet, I I think. He starts to call a play into Brady's helmet, and Brady goes, no, 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 no. Same. I think he said same, same, same. And so the only reason I bring that up now is because that was the play that Tom Brady fired that BB into Antonio Brown's gut where he does the the little move around uh, Tyron Matthew, touchdown, now it's 21 to 6 at halftime, totally different game. I only bring that up because I assume that any quarterback in the NFL who's watching that play said, My God, one of the big plays of your season. You're at the one yard line. You can get another touchdown. And you know what happened? Tom Brady told the coaches, I got this. I got this. You guys, we're running the play that was called before. And they ran the play, and it was a touchdown. And this was no, this is not deep and dark. It is simply sometimes a quarterback knows exactly what he should be doing on the field. And if Russell Wilson saw that, and I bet he did, if Russell Wilson saw that, he's got to be thinking, man, look at the power that Tom Brady has, and he's out there winning a Super Bowl. Now, I'm not trying to gratuitously pull another quarterback into this conversation, but as you're explaining that, I'm thinking of Aaron Rodgers with that fourth and goal from the eight in the NFC Championship Oh, that's game great, he just, Mike. He just accepted <laughs> the fact that out comes the field goal team, and there's not a damn thing I can do about it. 
and what freedom Tom Brady has, and whether it's Wilson, whether it's Rodgers, these guys who are stuck at one Super Bowl win, and they're seeing Tom Brady piling them up, and Tom Brady now empowered by the Buccaneers to basically take over the offense and do what he sees fit and bring in guys he wants to be there. That's the kind of thing that I think is going to drive both Rodgers and Wilson crazy. This Jets thing has me percolating, Peter, because I'll tell you this. The, the idea of Russell Wilson moving on from the Seahawks is not new. And, and I've mentioned it from time to time, and Seahawks fans initially have shouted me down, and I haven't pushed it as hard as I could have based on what I'd been hearing. But the one team that I always hear when it relates to Russell Wilson and a potential trade is the Dallas Cowboys. But now you got me thinking about the Jets, because as Matt Casey mentioned in my ear after we talked about the Jets a minute ago, great way for the Seahawks and the Jets to do a transaction that would entail the Jamal Adams first round pick going back to Seattle and easy for the Jets to justify it. Hey, we got two first round picks for a guy who didn't really want to be here. Let's just call it this. Let's call it Jamal Adams plus a first round pick or two for Russell Wilson. We would do that trade in a heartbeat. Absolutely. We would have done that trade in a heartbeat. And so let's put a package together premised it's on not quite exactly that, that though, Mike. It isn't quite exactly that because think of it. It would have to be Sam Darnold plus, uh, you know, plus basically Jamal Adams, you know, and you'd have to, I would think you'd have to give at least two ones in, in this scenario, because if you are giving Seattle back its picks, you're basically giving them back uh, two mid to late round ones. Okay. But you're also giving them the second pick in the draft. Right. So in a in an odd, odd way, if they got Sam Darnold, can you imagine what they would do with that second pick in the draft? I bet you a hundred bucks that John Schneider would take that tackle from Oregon. You know, and then finally the tackle who Russell Wilson was looking for for nine years would show up the day after he left the building. And it would just be kind of a weird, weird irony. And think about that package from the Seahawks perspective if you get offered Sam Darnold the second overall pick and the two first round picks that you sent for Jamal Adams and 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 if if the Jets have to throw in a fourth one to make it happen so be it Let, let's say it's basically Jamal Adams Sam Darnold and two first round picks including the second overall pick how in the hell would the Seahawks say no to that and I, I'm starting to think maybe that's too much for the Jets to give up but again what they've done is they've spun their wheels for the last 50 years looking for another franchise quarterback and they haven't been able to find one. So if I'm the Jets, I seriously would consider making that kind of offer and it becomes borderline offer the Seahawks can't refuse, Peter. I don't know if the Seahawks would start to think at that point, but I also know this, Mike. If I were Joe Douglas... Uh, as good as Russell Wilson is, I'd rather have a quarterback who's seven years younger. And so that offer first is going to the Houston Texans if it hasn't already gone there. Well, here's the other side of it, too. Russell Wilson, through his agent, Mark Rogers, who has one NFL client and always drives a hard bargain, you're going to have to pay Russell Wilson much more than what Deshaun Watson is currently making. Russell Wilson is going to try to get top of market money. He's gotten two prior times top of market money close to it. He was just behind Aaron Rodgers when he did his first four-year extension. He became the highest paid player in NFL history when he got his most recent one at $35 million a year in new money. Now you got Patrick Mahomes at 45. That's part of what you're going to have to factor into this if you're the Jets. You're going to have to pay Russell Wilson, and his agent is going to push you very hard to do it. He comes through the door making a mere $19 million in salary for this year. So the contract itself, not a difficult thing for a new team to take on. What's difficult and what's challenging is the contract you're going to buy the next time around. And when is the next time around? Is it this year? Is it next year? Is it the year after? Those are things that whoever would trade for Russell Wilson needs to consider as well because you're swapping those low-cost first-round picks for a guy that's going to cost you right. top-of-market money. But you know what I would do, Mike, in this particular case, if I'm Mark Rogers and I'm Russell Wilson? I would say, listen, 
you know, let's just have a little, uh, uh, you know, an, an honorable agreement. You can't sign anything about this or anything. Um, it, you know, there just has to be the understanding that when the salary cap kicks over $200 million, we got to redo my contract. That has to be, that would, in my opinion, be a logical way to do it. Because I would not want to show up in Florham Park, New Jersey, eating up half of the gigantic amount of cap space that the Jets are going to have. I wouldn't want to show up doing that because that prevents you from surrounding Russell Wilson with great players or better players, I should say. Or, or do the thing that I've been arguing for years now. The Jets refused to do it with Darrell Revis in 2010. Guarantee Russell Wilson a percentage of the cap, period. Whatever it is, 17%, 16.2, whatever it is, that's what he gets every year. So there always is that remaining 84 cents on the dollar. Again, whatever they decide yeah. is going to be the number. That's what's there to put the team around him. And, and part of it, too, look, you give up all that stuff for Russell Wilson – you're getting not just the high salary expectation, you're getting the guy who wants to be the Tom Brady, who waves off the play, who brings in the guys he wants. Otherwise, you just end up in the same spot the Seahawks are in, and before you know it, Russell Wilson's going to be on Dan Patrick talking about the concerns he has with his current team. Yeah, and Mike... I I'll tell you what, I think this is going to end with Russell Wilson staying in Seattle. But I do think there's going to have to, there's going to be several meetings of the minds. And, you know, curiously absent in this, honestly, is ownership. Where is Jody Allen in this? You know, I understand that she's reticent, that she's a private person. I, you know, I get it. I get it. But when you own an NFL team, it's not like owning a private, uh, you know, a private business. It's not like owning a hardware store. You know, you are in the spotlight. Uh, and, and again, look, I don't know what her relationship with Wilson is, but where is she? She should be, uh, you know, starting to have some conversations about this because the most valuable asset in her empire, basically sporting empire, is Russell Wilson. And he apparently is not happy. So do something about it. Step forward. Do something. Be involved. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. Those are the things I'm, I'm thinking about, Mike, that, that the, the organization has to be involved. You can't just always say, hey, John Schneider, fix this. Let's let the organization go at it, too. By all appearances, Peter, and I've been trying to get to the bottom of that because for as quiet and understated and unassuming as Paul Allen was, his sister is even more of the same. She's nowhere to be seen. She's nowhere to be found. This is all Pete Carroll. That's the impression. This is Pete's call. Whatever Pete wants to do, that's what it's going to be. And who, who knows? Look, Peter, I initially thought when this all came up that next year is when it all comes to a head, that, that the cap charge pre-June 1 for a trade, $39 million in dead money for the Seahawks. They're not going to entertain that. Now you could do the trade June 2 and make it 13 this year and 26 next year. And with no off-season program, what's he really missing? So I think if it does happen, it would be something that becomes official on or after June 2. But even then, are you ready to do it this year? Do you want to try to fix it? Do you want to give it a year and see if it works with Shane Waldron? Do you want to let Russ be involved with free agency in the draft? You know, a lot of this depends on what the Seahawks choose to do. And all we've heard the past three days as it relates to the Seahawks is the report from Dan Patrick that the Seahawks aren't happy with Russell Wilson. Okay, fine. They're not happy. What does that mean? Does that mean they're at a point of no return? Or does that mean they're going to hash it out and they're going to figure out how to make it work for at least one more year, maybe two, maybe three, maybe more? And that's what nobody knows right now. But I think that, uh, Unless some team like, like the Jets gets very aggressive in this, I think that at some point, Schneider and Pete Carroll uh, are going to try to address some of Wilson's concerns, even though, <coughs> excuse me, even though they are very much, this is not the way that John Schneider has ever operated in his career. 
And I think he has to determine, is it worth it to try to make peace to change uh, at this point in his, what has been a very successful NFL career? Uh, is he willing to change the way he does things somewhat, um, you know, to accommodate his quarterback? And we'll see. I really don't know. This is an interesting story, Mike. They may just say, hey, listen, shut up and go to work. They may do that. Who knows? We'll see. But it doesn't strike me that Pete Carroll, who is always a, hey, don't worry, be happy. Hey, we're all one big happy family, blah, 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 blah. That, you know, I mean, he was always able to bury the rancor, the anger of Marshawn Lynch and the team divisiveness of Marshawn Lynch. He was always able to push that to the side. But I don't know that this is going to be uh, the same deal. This is the leader of your franchise, not some petulant uh, counterculture guy who really, you know, he, he it's, it's not that he wasn't important to the team. He was very important. But he's not the quarterback of the team either. Like Deshaun Watson, and for that matter, Tom Brady, Russell Wilson has a no-trade clause in his contract, which gives him the ability to veto any potential trade that the Seahawks would try to engineer if he doesn't want to go to, say, for example, Jacksonville. I'm fascinated by the possibility of the Jaguars saying, we'll give you the Trevor Lawrence pick and we'll take Russell Wilson. Would Russell Wilson say, I'll take Jacksonville? Maybe he would, maybe he wouldn't. But the folks at PointsBet put together the odds earlier this week for the destination, if not Seattle. The Jets aren't on the board. Maybe they should be. How are the, the Jets Vegas not on the board? I, I don't that's know. Maybe that's insane. That's insane. Maybe, maybe that's a maybe that's a bet we need to place. But the the Las Vegas Raiders currently at the top at plus four fifty. I don't know about that one. Again, I I I have heard. I guess points over, bet is 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 located in Las Vegas. <laughs> uh, I, I've but I've heard over and over again the Dallas Cowboys. Mike Mayock and, is uh, telling everybody everybody we're not trading Carr. Period. Stop. I mean, yeah. I, th this is a silly graphic. Well, silly. And, and I, I, I've heard that the Raiders aren't trading Derek Carr, but I think with John Gruden, you can never rule out anything. And if there would be an opportunity to get Russell Wilson. I wouldn't put I mean, a number thing, one on the list is all I'm saying. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. And I'm surprised the Jets aren't on there. And maybe the Jets should be on there. You've sold me on the Jets. The question is, would Russell Wilson be sold on the Jets? And ultimately, look, here's the thing that we don't know. We don't know what Robert Sala privately thinks of Russell Wilson from the two or three times per year that he's had to, to come up with a defense. And, and how do you handle Russell Wilson? How much does he compare to Patrick Mahomes, to Tom Brady? How much are you spending your time scared to death at night when you're trying but to But the question is, Mike, Mike, that isn't the question. About Russell Wilson. That's not the question. You know, whether you might like Patrick Mahomes better than Russell Wilson is totally, or any of these other quarterbacks, that doesn't matter. The question is, do you like Justin Fields better than Russell Wilson? Yep. You know, do you like Sam Darnold better than Russell Wilson? That's yep. the issue. And the issue right. is, first of all, I can't believe that Robert Sala would not very much aggressively want to go after Russell Wilson. I mean, look, they have had some great games over the years, and Russell Wilson's won a lot of those great games over the years. So I'd be very surprised if Sala wouldn't be saying to Joe Douglas, go get him if it was possible. And and I think Sala was in Seattle at one point along the way too, so he's had access yeah, to he was. Russell Wilson at, at practice. In their Super Bowl behind year. Behind the scenes. Yeah, so he's been there. He's done that. He knows who he's getting. You, you just have to be all in on the player to the point where you're willing to give up everything you have to give up to get him and that you're willing to stand in the shoes that it's going to take to be his employer going forward. You're going to be paying him a lot of money and you got to be willing to give him a seat at the table. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to empower your quarterback Tom Brady style? Because at the core, that's what this is. This is this dawn of a new age of franchise quarterbacks sparked by Tom Brady's move to Tampa Bay and ability to win a Super Bowl right away. That is increasing the pressure, the anxiety, the stress for guys like Russell Wilson and to a lesser extent Aaron Rodgers. He's keeping his mouth shut, but I'm sure he's watching this too, Peter. 
because we're seeing what happens when a team says to a quarterback, we are deferring to you and we're going to let you have an unprecedented level of influence over how we run our team at a time when all the other teams are stuck in that mindset of, yeah, we want you to kind of behave like a manager among your teammates, but when it's time for the management meeting, you're not invited. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Mike. I, I just, I guess my overarching, overriding point in this is that if I was an NFL general manager or I was running an NFL franchise and my quarterback was a C-minus quarterback, and or whatever you would call Sam Darnold right now. Not saying that it's his fault, okay? But his performance is not great. And if that was my situation, and there was even a whiff in the air that I could get a great quarterback on my team, I'd do exactly what the New York Giants did uh, way back in, I forget when it was, maybe around 1968 or something, when they traded two ones and two twos for Fran Tarkenton. And, and, and he wasn't at the level of, say, a Russell Wilson or, or a Deshaun Watson. He was a very good pro quarterback. But the Giants didn't have a quarterback. And Fran Tarkenton gave them one for, I think he was there five years. Fran Tarkenton gave them a chance to win every Sunday. Russell Wilson would give the New York Jets a chance to win every Sunday while they built their team up, even though they wouldn't have three or four of the very high picks that they wish they did. And Peter, coincidentally, yesterday was the 54th anniversary of the day that Fran Tarkenton informed the Vikings he would no longer (laughs) play for them laying the foundation for the trade. Even though it was a Norm Van Brocklin, Fran Tarkenton thing, and Norm Van Brocklin had been fired, Tarkenton still didn't want to play for the Vikings, got traded to the Giants, and of course, six years after that, got traded back to the Vikings and made it to three Super Bowls. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. We mentioned the Jaguars and all of the things that are happening there. Something happened yesterday that has caught some attention and some scrutiny for new coach Urban Meyer. We'll delve into that when PFT Live continues right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Chris Doyle was uh, let go, reached a separation agreement technically, $1.1 million buyout at Iowa last year. Allegations of racist remarks and belittling of players emerged. Chris Doyle emerged in Jacksonville as the new director of sports performance, Peter Urban Meyer, who has a little bit of a history of being around some coaches and some players that may or may not have been involved in some behavior that may or may not be regarded as acceptable in a civilized society. I just, look, I know Urban Meyer's got a ton of equity now in Jacksonville, and they've handed him the full keys to the operation. But but th- th- this this move is the first test for him, not just making the decision, but how he deals with the decision, how he lives with it, whether he resents the criticism, how the organization moves forward. I was surprised by this 
Because here's the thing, and, and I'm not saying that Chris Doyle should never be employed again in any capacity anywhere, but so soon after what happened at Iowa for a job that there are surely plenty of other eminently qualified individuals, I don't know why the Jaguars and why Urban Meyer would, would choose to make a move like that and essentially put their hand right into the middle of the fire. You know, I agree, Mike. This is, uh, you know, if you asked all available assistant coaches at all levels, college, pro, uh, who had would have the chance to move, uh, either their team would let them out, their contract was up, they were unemployed, whatever it was. There's no question at all that everybody would have Urban Meyer very high on the list for a simple reason. That Urban Meyer, unless he pulls a Nick Saban and quits after two years, Urban Meyer has got at least four years of equity built up there. He's not getting fired, even if he has two really bad years at the beginning, even a third bad year. He is going to be in that job for a little while, unless, again, he chooses to go. So what does that mean? That means that job security is excellent if you're on the Jacksonville Jaguars coaching staff right now. So if you're getting recruited by the Jaguars, you could say to your wife, hey, look, we're going to be there a while. We can put the kids in school. We can do this. It's a great place to live. Great town, all that. And I agree with you, Mike. My first thought was that, first of all, not only will he get a lot of questions from people like us, but I wonder also if he's going to get questions from players on his own team. You know, word travels fast in the, in the player fraternity and the coaching fraternity. Are you saying that I didn't even look at their roster? Are there no players from Iowa on the Jacksonville roster? Would they maybe not even consider choosing Iowa players in the draft? I mean, it's just, it opens a can of worms that I don't understand why, why it was open. Well, and the questions already have begun. We've got excerpts of the press conference during which the Chris Doyle questions did emerge and Meyer's responses. Here's some of it. Yeah, I've known Chris for uh, close to 20 years. Our relationship goes back to when I was at Utah and he was the number one strength coach. And really, he, he was doing sports performance before sports performance became a uh, 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 a high priority in, in college sports. And so I've known him, I've studied him. Uh, we've had a relationship. Uh, I vetted him thoroughly. He had no reservations hiring him based on the allegations and, and what happened at Iowa and, and why hire him instead of going in a different direction? Oh, sure. I, 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 I vet everyone on our staff. And like I said, the relationship goes back close to 20 years and a lot of hard questions asked, a lot of vetting involved. And uh, with the, with all our staff, but uh, uh, we 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 did a very good job vetting that one. So you're confident there's not going to be any issues. Yeah, they're all they're very confident. Did you have to get Shad's permission to hire him, Chris Doyle? Uh, Shad was involved with our our high end uh, hires, and uh, he was very he was involved. And are you at all concerned that him being in the building will? impact your ability to, to attract free agents? Uh, I, if I was, I wouldn't have hired him. Uh, once again, I'll, I'll explain that if, if that becomes a, a question. Uh, the one thing I'm very confident is that I would imagine within a year or two, we'll have the best sports performance team in the National Football League. One Iowa player on the Jaguars roster currently, cornerback Greg Maben. Um, I, I, it, you're right, Peter. Word travels fast. Players know each other. Word's going to get around. There were serious allegations made regarding Chris Doyle. Now, he denied making the comments, but the end result was an investigation that didn't name names per se, but it found that there was belittling of players, that there were racially inappropriate comments made, and Doyle left with a $1.1 million buyout. So uh, a, a challenging situation. And again, Urban Meyer, and, and it's just amazing how this all just kind of gets forgotten once a guy gets put on a pedestal by an NFL team, and it was clear from the get-go this is the guy that Shad Khan wanted to hire. 
But whether it was at Florida, whether it was the stuff that happened at Ohio State, there's always been just something on the fringe that Urban Meyer's been able to keep just beyond arm's length. But that that makes it even more curious that he would welcome onto his staff someone who's been involved in a controversy because then that that will get people like us to say, well, let's look at some of the people Urban Meyer has surrounded himself with over the years. Yeah, it, it, you know, Mike, the one other thing is you were saying that, you know, a head coach in a new situation, what what this said to me, this hire also said to me is that, look, um, I'm going to do things my way and I'm going to hire the people I want to hire. I think he made some excellent hires. The one hire that really stood out to me was Joe Cullen. Uh, the defensive line coach at Baltimore, um, who he hired as his defensive coordinator, who, you know, in my opinion, and he's been very upfront with this, he had a well-publicized battle with alcohol early in his career and met with Roger Goodell, talked to him, had that weird incident in the drive-through restaurant. And look, the bottom line in the whole thing is people ought to get a chance to rebuild their lives. And I totally get it. Joe Cullen has taken that chance. He's been an absolute total model citizen since that incident. He's met with Goodell on several occasions. But this just really is different to me because this is very fresh in our memories. And and as I said, so many people would be after this job. It's just... I, I think it's a very odd hire to me, Mike, because it could it could deter Urban Meyer if it deters him from recruiting even two or three players. And, and maybe it will, maybe it won't. I don't know. But if it deters him from recruiting players, basically, what why is he there? And, and you know, the reality is, and, and this gets into that same type of confidence, delusion, hubris that a great quarterback has, a great coach believes he's always going to find a way to say yeah. the right thing, put out the fires, and ultimately rely on that person who brings a certain element of controversy to assist in the broader cause of making the team as good as it is. Can be so we'll see how that plays out for the Jaguars they've got a busy day today they'll be checking out Trevor Lawrence as he throws for scouts before he has surgery on his non-throwing shoulder speaking of injured quarterbacks Matthew Stafford spoke to the Detroit Free Press he opened up about some of the injuries he had in 2020 some that were on the injury report and at least one that wasn't we'll discuss that next on PFT Live Matthew Stafford speaking to the Detroit Free Press on the way out of town, specifically to Mitch Album, And among other things, Matthew Stafford said that he also had a left elbow injury to go with thumb, rib, and ankle injuries in 2020. The elbow was never disclosed. He started wearing a wrap at some point after the Thanksgiving game, so the elbow was another problem. The guy has always played through anything and everything. He is very physically tough. There was a column over the weekend from Carlos Monarez of the Detroit Free Press that raised and articulated a concern I've had about Stafford. And what Monarez said is, through 12 years, he's never seen Stafford as one of these quarterbacks who is obsessed with greatness, who is obsessed with winning, who is obsessed with legacy. Just kind of like, hey, I work here. There's not much I can do about it. And Peter, that's what's been odd to me. You know, would Peyton Manning have tolerated 12 years of crap in Detroit? Or would he have either fixed it himself or gotten the hell out of there? Tom Brady, would he have tolerated 12 years of that in Detroit? You fix it yourself or you get the hell out of there. And Stafford has played at a high level, but they've put nothing around him. And look at where Russell Wilson is right now. And he's won a Super Bowl for crying out loud. And he's been to another. So I just feel like with Stafford, there is a fair criticism to be made that he's never truly demanded the kind of greatness that we're used to seeing from great quarterbacks. You know, Mike, I, I probably am more on the side with people who say that I think he's going to really play well with the Rams. Um, I mean, we can talk about the importance of uh, how important it is to Sean McVay. I, I don't know that he's going to get a third quarterback, Mike. <laughs> you know, 
I, I, I'm exaggerating there a little bit, but because, I mean, there's Sean McVay, I think, is an excellent football coach. But they've spent an awful lot of capital right now, uh, you know, on the quarterback position. And it's not like they can keep throwing draft picks and money at this problem. But what I'm saying is, and so I believe that Matthew Stafford is a great fit for Sean McVay. And I think it will work. However, I just don't think you can say that, oh my God, he never had any players. He always had bad coaches. He was always an island there. He had Calvin Johnson when he showed up for the first half of his career, however many years it was. Uh, And then he's always had a good receiving crew, hasn't he? Okay, he hasn't had a great running game. I get that. But, you know, to say that he's had nobody around him is just, it's just wrong. And, and the other thing is, if you get drafted first overall, all right, and you get drafted first overall, and you never win a playoff game, and you never win your division. There's only four teams in your division. In 12 years, <laughs> you never win the division. And so, it's statistically I'm, impossible. Look, <laughs> all I can say is, all I can say is, I like this move for the for the for the Rams. I really like the move for the Rams. But, you know, it's not like Matthew Stafford comes in riding on a white steed. He's got something to prove here. Well, and and look, just it's possible that both things are true. That it was partially on Stafford that the team stunk for 12 years and he didn't demand more. And it's also possibly true that Sean McVay is going to say to Matthew Stafford, just do what you did for the last 12 years. We'll take care of the rest. And, you know, he will be united with Aaron Donald, a guy the Lions could have and frankly should have taken instead of Eric Ebert in 2014. They're entering the last year of the Indomitian Sioux contract, the last year of the Nick Fairley, Fairley contract. They only had like one defensive tackle who was under contract beyond that season, and they didn't take Aaron Donald. So there have been flaws in Detroit, and there has been success with the Rams, Peter. But I'm with you. Let's give it a a, a, a wait and see, and maybe the Rams will be better with Stafford. We'll take a break. We'll be at the right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.